You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, this is Deep Trance, and your editor at American Theater Magazine. Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic. And we're your token theater friends, people who love theater so much that even when we have food poisoning, we'll still go to shows. How are you feeling today, Jose, after your fun bout with pre-made salad? I feel lighter and also in pain. <laughs> Which is a great way to be feeling before you're reviewing a show, right? All the time. I look amazing, but I feel like crap. <laughs> Spoken like a true diva. I mm-hmm. just saw the Judy movie, and you and you know what? Same same thing with her. It looked amazing. She felt and she felt like crap. But they gave her all those pills. Yeah, but she still looked amazing though. Okay. Yeah, I want that glittery like dress she has. Mm-hmm. I want the glittery suit. Get it? Yes. Happy fall, everyone. It is officially fall, okay. and we're going to be reviewing some shows and talking to some people today. So what is on the schedule? Today we're going to be talking about Felix Sorrow at Theater Row through September 15th, Hercules at the Public Theater through September 8th, and Make Believe at Second Stage through September 15th. And then after that, we have some guests. Who, who do we talk to? And they're so fabulous. We have two actors from the upcoming immersive theatrical musical extravaganza, as much as I can. Oh my god, I made it sound like happy, and it's like I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not going to be a glittery experience, even even though there's gay men in it. But it's going to be fabulous. Yeah, yeah. It'll just be, and also sad, fabulous and sad. Yeah, like Drag Race. So (laughs) we have two actors from as much as I can: Brandon Gill and Dimitri Moise. And then after that, we're going to be ranting about the public theater's, theater's lottery system for Hercules the Musical. But first, let's talk about Hercules the Musical. Because this is, all, this is why you all came, right? We have gone the distance together Did in we? this podcast. I almost skipped it because like, it was going to rain that day. And I'm not going to be out in the rain sitting at the Della Court. I mean, don't you kind of wish you skipped it because you, that's where you had the bad salad? So it's your fault. (laughs) It is your fault. It's not my fault. It is not my fault that you decided to buy salad at the Delacorte. Now they're going to close the (laughs) coffee shops. Don't say that. Sorry, Delacorte people. Okay. Uh, So Hercules, the musical, is a... Is based on a Disney film, music by Alan Menken, lyrics by David Zappel, and book by Christopher Diaz. And it's directed by Leo de Bessonet as part of Public Theater's Public Works program, where if you've never seen it, every year the Public Theater does a big production where they invite like 200 members, community members in New York City, so non equity amateur actors, to come act with them in, in the show. And this year was the first time they've done public works that wasn't a Shakespeare. But they always do a musical because, you know, if you've ever done, if you, if you've ever done community theater, musicals are a great way to get a shit ton of people on stage. Or our town. Or, yeah. Or our town. <laughs> Brian? <laughs> that'd be so depressing oh my god 
<laughs> the interesting thing about Hercules is it's one of those B-list Disney movies where it didn't make a ton of money back in the 90s. And it's not, you know, what you think of when you think 90s Disney movies. It's it's, But it has, like, a cult appeal, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? It's not? No, I not a lot of people I know like like Hercules. I mean, I guess they, they know come the out, songs. But. I guess that they come out because it came out the year before Mulan, and those were like yeah, those were the movies where like this hand drawn animation was like going out of style. Yeah, and also Tarzan. I think I feel like by the late nineties, it wasn't as iconic anymore. But I like them. It was fine. Yeah, I, I love Hercules. I like Hercules a lot. I mean, granted, it's one of those musicals that's not without its problems. And I feel like with this adaptation, they solved some of it. Like this time, Hercules actually has some some kind of character arc where he goes from being kind of... Well, he goes from, you know, he's also an outcast, but he's kind of overconfident about it. And then he learns how to be humble and how to actually like and appreciate regular people who are not powerful. Aladdin. And I also appreciated Jelani Aladdin's, who played Hercules. I appreciated his biceps very much. And I also appreciate Kirsten Rodriguez, who, when she played Meg, how she paused a little bit when she squeezed his biceps. And I related. You know, Meg was always one of my favorite Disney hair, Disney heroines because she had the um, best, one of the best songs and also, she kind of she always came across to me as kind of like a world weary, experienced woman who's going to teach this boy how to really live. It, and it was an enjoyable evening for me. What did you think? I really loved this production. In fact, mm-hmm. I was like grateful to Zeus, haha, <laughs> for not making it rain that night. Although whoever the god of vegetables is, he can go fuck himself. Um, I was so happy to be there because I think this Hercules is. Uh, the perfect, I would say, the ideal example of how to make color-conscious casting. And the reason why I say that is because I don't know if it happened to you, but just by seeing uh, Jelani Aladdin, who is like extremely charming and wonderful, and he has like mm-hmm. a great voice as Hercules, it goes beyond just the... Uh, which is not just because it's really important, but it goes beyond... You know, like being like an example for little kids, right? Because I saw Jelani on Twitter like saying he was excited when he read someone uh, tweet that a little black boy was like pretending he was Hercules, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like incredible on its own. But what I love was that seeing a black man in that role made so many things land differently in a way that for me, the show became this incredibly profound metaphor for the two paths that black men are allowed in America. Mm-hmm. And at the very start of the musical, like remember when Hercules goes to like the Agora or whatever, and no one wants him there. And there's a moment when like the guards or the police officers, I don't know what they call them, like grab him from behind and throw him on the floor. And then his like dad who found him shows up and he says, he's just a kid. And like, you know, people laughed at that line, but seeing a black man on his knees as two like uh, figures of authority were taking him and hearing someone have to explain to them that he's just a, a child was uh, extremely powerful to me. Like, I find it very, I was like, hey, did y'all hear this? Like, I was like surprised that people didn't like gasp at mm-hmm. that. So then what we saw after that was 
that yeah like this is the path you know like in in america like when a black boy or when a black teenager or when a black man goes through something like that the likelihood of him getting shot by the cops is extremely high right so what this was this what this musical shows us is that you have that path and then when you're lucky enough to escape society tells you that you have to become a celebrity that you have to be famous to be respected and to be loved yeah or work twice as hard yeah but like even like you know like even if you work twice as hard in uh in a field that's not that you're not in the public eye you're still in danger of like being like killed by cops right but if you're like super famous mm -hmm. then you're on another stratosphere like you're almost a god i love that uh lear de basine is basically saying to us that um you know we're we're seeing that black people black men specifically have to become have to prove themselves to be superhuman in order to be respected and to be allowed to be a part of society because even though the play takes place in Greece like it was this like really weird like anachronistic like oh yeah fantasy you know it's not Greece obviously yeah yeah it's and, like a lot of well it's kind of like the movie the movie had like a lot of modern 90s references in it oh no no yeah but yeah, i mean yeah. like so, but the costumes in the movie are like togas and stuff but like in the production like i uh what was it last year that uh lear did uh midsummer night's dream or was two years ago yeah, yeah. uh midsummer was i think midsummer was in 2017 okay but uh well it doesn't matter yeah, yeah. really when it was but what i what i you know i didn't like that production at all mm -hmm. but i really like the fact that she Uh, Lear de Besone in two productions now, unless, you know, I haven't seen any other of hers that's about gods, but in both Midsummer and Hercules that are, you know, where gods are like the main characters, basically, she's giving us the Greek gods by the way of black people. Mm -hmm. And she celebrates like Mardi Gras culture and like New Orleans culture. And it's like extremely, you know, proud of its blackness. And I found that really beautiful because I think considering you know, everything that happens with two black men and two black people in America, the fact that she's finding the divine in black people and putting it on stage, I think is just extraordinary. And I love this musical for that reason, mostly. Yeah. Well, and, the th and it also improved on, on the original in that the original had like the gospel, you know, the gospel choir who were their fates. And I feel like if you're putting that on stage, you need to have black people be at the center of it. Otherwise, it comes off as vaguely appropriate considering it's a bunch of white men who wrote the thing. All right. But the uh, yeah. the fates in the in the cartoon movie where uh they were black. Was yeah lilius white and like a bunch of other who was it like i think it was like mostly like theater people mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah i really liked it i i also yeah. i also liked that um it says a lot about uh i really laughed because like people are wondering if this production is going to go to broadway and i don't think if disney you know like suits sit through this they're going to want to put it anywhere else but the public theater because it's a very uh let's just say that AOC would be very proud of this Hercules. Yeah. Well, actually, though, I think I actually think that the way it used the community was a lot less. Okay, so the thing, so the thing about public works is, in the past is it's kind of like a pageant where the action will pause to sh so that they can showcase a performance from a local group. So in previous years, they've had performances from like mariachi bands. There was like some taiko drumming one year, and there was some kung fu another year. So kung fu karate another year. So there was so it, all those things you could take it out. 
and they weren't integral to the you know the story they weren't diegetic they were just it was just a pause in the action and this year there wasn't really any of that and the, except for the marching band and and so i think actually if you just took out the marching band and cast everyone with professional actors i don't think the community was as integral to this production as a, as it was in previous productions having, so it could operate on its own yeah no, but I mean because of the themes. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't think Disney would want, you know, like the villains in this musical are called greed and hatred. Oh, pain and, and panic. No, no, no. The titans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not the assistants. Not, not the little minions. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Greed, you know, like the, the villains in this musical are basically Disney corporate values. And I do not see. I don't think Disney would say their corporate values was greed, though. I mean, they would. It's <laughs> the not, subtext is there. Yeah, but. they would not put it on the like their mission statement, I guess, or whatever. But I, I loved it. I th- I thought it was a very. It was kind of weird, even like because Disney is entirely the opposite of everything that this musical is. Well, yeah, because Disney loves celebrities, and the musical is basically saying celebrities aren't heroes. But also that greed is wrong, and that yeah. community is important, and that people of color should be a part of the community, mm-hmm. and that people of color often save the rest of the people when when things go bad. Yeah. When the white uh, guy with the crazy hair unleashes all, ooh, was Roger Bart playing the president? Well, anyway, no, I, you know, anyway, yeah, yeah but is- I think is, but it's, I think it's also one of those things where Hercules, where Disney knows itself enough to know what people think of it. And I, and I could see it presenting something like this at a big Broadway stage and saying, oh, we love diversity and the people of New York. And here's some free tickets for the people of New York in order to get good PR for itself. I mean, it's never going to happen, but I think it's going to happen. But uh, Jelani Aladdin should play him if this moves to Broadway. He's fantastic. Yes, yes, he is. And I really wanted to shout out um, the um, uh, James Ortiz who did the puppet design because there, because you know, this isn't a Broadway stage. You don't get you, you don't get very much pyrotechnics because the Delacorte has very. Uh, you can't do much in a Delacorte, unfortunately. It's an outdoor theater. So for the Titans, he he made like I love like that Hydra sequence yeah, where cool. he, he it was just like a long neck with a monster with like a giant head of a monster, and then more of them kept coming out in, in different sides of the stage. And you didn't need the entire monster to know it was big and terrifying. And so I love me some giant puppets. I would like some more giant puppets wherever I go. Give them to her. Yes, exactly. What else did I like about this production? Mm-hmm. So I was expecting to just be entertained, and that's why I don't. That's why I was very surprised to find myself like being like, "Huh." Like really? thinking, but you loved the movie, though. No, I mean, but it's fun. The movie doesn't have all these themes that the. I mean, the movie's about about white people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think what the public works thing, what the public works added community members added to it was, I think it brought out by virtue of them being there, it forced I think Lear and the creative team to bring out like the importance of community as part of the theme because that wasn't there before. In the movie, no, but I, I wonder if it was in uh, Christopher Diaz's uh, book for the musical. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, maybe, but maybe he was inspired by community members. By the people, yeah. By the people. Because orig- I remember the original movie was very much like, oh, people are dumb. Well, they aren't dumb. Well, yeah. 
But now, but now this version is like people can help you. They you can. don't have to be here by yourself. We're all heroes. I miss the Pegasus, we're heroes, though. Jose. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the Pegasus though. Uh, yeah, I don't think. See, you know, not not a Broadway house. What are you yeah. gonna do outdoor? You can't rig anybody in that theater. <laughs> so I was like, I think I was eleven. I was eleven when the movie came out, and I was obsessed. I had a baby Pegasus plush toy. Oh. Maybe I was it. too. Maybe I was too old for having. You know, is an eleven-year-old too old for a plush? No, okay. I had a plush toy until very recently. Anyway, um, if you can get tickets to Aladdin, we recommend Hercules. Huh? Hercules. Yeah, I mean, blah. <laughs> Sorry, Jelani Aladdin. You know, you know what? Yeah, Who uh, should play Aladdin? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. If you can get tickets to Hercules. Uh, it's free. It closes on September 8th and you can enter the lottery. It's a lottery system. So you just enter online. They also have a cancellation line that you can show that people have been showing up to, to put their name in a hat. And I've been told that if you don't get the tickets, you can just sit outside the theater and you can just hear it. Or you can watch from Belvedere Castle like other people I saw do. Oh, really? That night. Yeah. Oh, wow. Which I will talk about in our rant. Any, <laughs> anyway, uh, what, let's talk about Felix Taro. Yes. Felix Taro is a new musical by um, lyricist, book writer, Jessica Hagedorn, and composer Fabian Obispo. It's based on the short story by Leslie Tenorio. And it tells the story of Felix Taro, who's like one of this spiritual healers who became really, really famous in the 1970s and the 1980s when people like Shirley MacLaine discovered them, you know, like once a white person found them in the Philippines and that they brought them to the rest of the world and they turned them into these like new age icons. And if you don't know what a um, spiritual healer does is that they basically use, you know, prayer and like what they say is like God's help to perform surgeries without any tools and without like any professional like actual medical care Mm -hmm. they just basically say that they extract tumors and like negativity from your body in the shape of like blood clots and people don't believe this and some people do so in the musical what we see is that Felix Starro who's played by Alan Ariano arrives in San Francisco because he's no longer famous in the Philippines and he needs to make money so he goes to um, I was going to say take advantage but that's the thing about this musical that, you know, it depends on whether you believe he's a healer or not. So for some, he's taking advantage of the people in San Francisco. And for others, he's coming to help the people of San Francisco. So we see him deal with his patients and then with his grandson, uh, who he just calls Junior, who he adopted because his parents died. And he doesn't know this, but Junior wants to stay in San Francisco and doesn't want to go back to the Philippines. So I think that the um, the musical has so much to say because it's the very first Filipino-American musical, mm-hmm. which is insane. Yeah, off-Broadway. And it packs like so... Has there been one on Broadway? No. Oh. <laughs> and it packs like so much mm-hmm. about everything in like... Mm-hmm. What, like under two hours. Yeah, an hour 40. Yeah, I was so impressed by that. Like, yeah. Because like, I feel like I could keep going about the plot, but it's also not a very plotty musical. No, it's kind of... And th- there's a lot of digressions into side characters. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of side characters have their own songs because the whole conceit is, you know, you, you meet the character and then they get healed. Yeah. 
or not. Or not. Mm. See, the reason I wanted to talk to you about about it was because y- you're religious and you grew up Catholic, and I feel like this this show, th- like this show, depending on where you stand with religion, you'll you'll have allegiances to different people. I don't know. Like, I actually grew up in a Catholic country, but I did not grow up Catholic. I became Catholic recently as an adult. Um, but um, I don't think it has something to do specifically with like Catholicism. Because, like, for instance, if you're well, asking me, yeah, yeah, because if you're asking me if I believe that Felix Starro, for instance, is a fake or is he like really like God's, I don't know, hand on Earth, then I guess my question would be, um, you know, like who gets to decide what heals people, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like, I, I would say that. Um, I don't believe necessarily that the pageantry of the the surgeries. Have you seen any of those surgeries like in real life? No, but I've seen enough like mega like pastor and mega churches heal people right. that that was like my analog to this entire experience. Right, but it's like they apparently they they allegedly use like chicken livers yeah, and yeah. like stuff and, like, like that. Fake blood, yeah. But what I've always found really interesting about this is that uh, you know, like I mean, we both though, like I know that, like even if I was not spiritual. We both know that, you know, like extracting like a chicken liver from a human being is impossible. <laughs> and we know that this is all like part of a show, right? Mm-hmm. But what I find so interesting, and I think that the musical explores beautifully, is the then why do people believe in it? And I think that um, the composer and the lyricist don't necessarily have any answers to that, which makes mm-hmm. the musical even richer. Really? Because yeah. I actually wanted some more answers. Because you I like feel, answers. I like, yeah, <laughs> I, I found it a little bit too murky. I mean, I sometimes, you know, not everything needs to have a message. Sometimes a story can just be a story. But then I, I left the whole thing wondering, okay, what did what did I spend? What was the point of that an hour and 40 that I just spent with these people? What do you think the point was? To feel really sad. I have no idea. Why were you sad? <laughs> because I just felt it doesn't exactly... And happily, it ends on like a really melancholic note. Oh yeah, I think the final moment is like really brilliant. Hmm. Well, though I do think like the final song was a little bit. Eh, you, you could have given Alan something better to sing. I don't mind a story. I think that's also why I'm usually not a fan. I'm usually not a fan of short stories to begin with, just because they it's always presenting us with an. For me, as a reader, I'm always being presented with an idea, and then and then that's it. So you're not you're you're the opposite of like a minimalist. Yes, exactly. I like stuff. That's why when you said like, oh, it was amazing how much I got in an hour forty. I'm like, they could have put in more. <laughs> I need I need more conflict. I need to know why Junior feels like he has to leave his dad. I mean, his grandfather, and how he becomes how he got to that point, and how he gets himself past the finish line, and or and 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 where did the disillusionment with the family profession come from? I think I needed more scenes of them together and less scenes of him. Thing, ruminating by himself, in order for, for me to for me to understand what was at stake here. I think that's so compelling about what you're saying right now is mm-hmm. that all those questions that you're asking yourself are the reasons why people try to find spirituality because mm-hmm. there's no answers to things and it's really frustrating. Yeah, and 
you know, that ending that you're like, I wanted to know exactly what happened to him. Endings like that are what drive people to either therapy or religion or both. Because mm -hmm. we don't know. I mean, yeah. how do, what do you do in real life when you meet someone? Like, you're, you're not going to know how their story's going to end. No, of course not. No, I, I don't mind like an unresolved ending. I just don't like that it's unresolved. And I said, no, no, I don't like that it's unresolved. And everything that had the buildup to it was was not developed enough. Like it didn't build to a point where I understood where, what, where, why we were all here. It just, it was just, this is a thing that happened to everybody. It's a very immediate rest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Musical. But I, I really liked that about it. Like, all right. you know, the, the patients, for instance, I was, I was very disappointed in myself, but also very grateful for this musical because I don't know if it happens to you, mm -hmm. but, uh, What are some issues that you would say, well, I mean, duh, once, I th once I'm going to say it out loud, like it's mm -hmm. obvious to me, but what are some issues that you say that you would think, you know, when you think about Vietnamese immigrants or Vietnamese people and, you know, Vietnamese Americans, what are some issues that you, your mind instantly goes to? Oh, uh, trauma. Right. Like displacement yeah. from the war and all of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like for me, for instance, like I'm from Honduras and like Central America and like I don't even have to say what's going on. Like, you know, kids that look like me are in cages right now because the president doesn't want them to like seek asylum. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, like there are some issues that I think we are very uh, kind of selfish that we only relate to people that look like us. Mm -hmm. You know, like I was thinking also like when you, when you think about uh, incarceration and like the mass jailing system, like we think about black men, right? And when we think about this or that, we think about specific demographics. And what I was so grateful about in Felix Sorrow was that it's, it's a show about Filipino immigrants and Filipino Americans done by Filipino immigrants and Filipino Americans. And what we get to see is that so many of these issues, like, you know, displacement and like being undocumented, for instance, mm -hmm. and uh, racism are part of all our communities. Yeah. Like, if we're not white, basically, we're all kind of screwed. Yeah. And, you know, it never occurred to me before seeing Felix Sorrow that maybe there were, you know, undocumented Filipino immigrants. I never thought about it before. And I was like, oh. And I felt so disappointed because I was like, oh, God, like you've been focusing only on, you know, your part of the world. No, pe people always people always forget that undocumented immigrants come in all stripes. And the only, and the only reason that it's there's so much focus on brown undocumented immigrants is because it's an it's an easier scapegoat. And also, like, I mean, this is a, a mild spoiler for the interview that's coming up, but I don't know. I mean, I guess we're allowed to talk about it. It's not a spoiler, but there's a moment that I found really powerful in the musical it's really short and it's when the patient comes in and without saying specifically you know it's all about subtext nothing's mm -hmm. ever in the text but we realize that you know felix sorrow who's a healer refuses to treat this patient because what he has is aids yeah and when he disrobes and they never say the word aids they never say mm -hmm. like hiv but when the patient shows up and he disrobes He's covered in uh, Carposa, uh, no, Carposi sarcoma, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, it was like, the legions. yeah, it was, but it was, it was basically the symbol of, uh, if people saw that in the 80s, they were like, you're, you're a pariah. 
And again, like, you know, like in the interview that you're going to hear soon, we talked to black male actors about the portrayal of AIDS and HIV in American art. And it's always about white people. Mm-hmm. And again, I was like, I was sitting there. And I was like, oh, my God, of course, Filipino immigrants and Filipino Americans also were going through that. And I don't know. I felt very, I felt very selfish. So I was very grateful mm-hmm. that the musical um, yeah. allowed me to see this. Yeah. So thank you, Felix. And that was actually an addition that Jessica Hagedorn, the book writer, added. It wasn't in the short story. Like she added in all these, like political, like social, socio political subtext with AIDS and with um, and with the undocumented aspects of it. So I really commend her for pulling that out of the material. And abortion. And abortion. Oh, the abortion was in there too. Oh, it was. Uh, yeah, the abortion right. was in the. Uh, I'm just thinking of all the issues. All the issues. But But the thing is, like, it it didn't hit you over the head with it. It just, it's just a presentation of this is the realities of the situation in this time. Yeah. I'm very impressed. Okay. Bravo team. Well, uh, if you see it, tell us what you think. Felix Starro is playing until September 15th and tickets are 52 to $85. And the music is actually quite gorgeous. Did it make you think, wait, what did it make you think of? What do you mean? What musical did it make you think of? Did the, oh, Mostly Sondheim, actually. Mostly Sondheim? Yeah. It made me think of Evita. Did it make you think of Evita? <laughs> of course. It right? Was. But yeah. The, yeah, the bigger numbers were very Evita, like very rock meets like religious chants and stuff. It was, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah. All right. And the last show we're going to be talking about is uh, Make Believe by Bess Wool, uh, currently playing at Second Stage. And in it, uh, four kids are playing in the attic when they discovered that their mom has left and she is not coming back. That's about it. Yes. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> How many times did your mom threaten to do that? Oh, she left at one point. She, 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 she left before. She left you in the attic. No, she didn't leave me in the attic. No, no, no. Like one time my, um, my parents got into this big argument and then my mom left and she can't drive and she doesn't speak very much English and she left and she didn't come back for like hours. And then we're like, where does she go? And then, and then six hours later, you get a phone call from, from my sister in Berkeley, which is six hours away from where we're living. And she's like, mom's here. Does she walk? How did she get there? Did she have her purse? <laughs> okay. It's one of those things where, you know what? When you're running away from your family, you get really resourceful. You do. Okay. Why are we talking about this? Okay. Well, I think that the play is basically about like the damage that parents our parents do, yeah. do to us. What's your damage, Jose? Oh, so many, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. How long do we have? Um, Okay, but yeah, this play doesn't really have much of a plot either. Mm -mm. But I have to say I was very surprised that um, to realize that... Because the first half of the play is performed entirely by child actors. Yes. And I have to say that I was so pleasantly surprised to realize they were so good. Usually with children, you never know. Children (laughs) on stage are insufferable. And these kids... (laughs) were by themselves for half the play. So like maybe like 45 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And they were so good. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they were, uh, I don't know, they were so good. Like they were so good, in fact, that when the second part of the play starts and they're played by, is that a spoiler? No. It no. Is. Okay. When the second part, we find out. They grew up. Yeah. How they grew up. I was like, oh, fuck, who needs adults right now? Because I didn't find them interesting. Like I, I thought that the first part of the play on its own 
was a great play. Like we didn't need to know everything else that we learn when they're grown-ups. Yeah, but then isn't the whole point is I thought the whole point of the play was like you're so innocent like like kids see more than you think they see, like they see the conflict but they don't they don't have the language for it so they can't talk about it. Yeah. And I feel like the catharsis for me was seeing them as an adult as adults and seeing them actually able to acknowledge for the first time even like what exactly happened to them. Mm. Yeah, see that that this is like the perfect play that <laughs> describes who we are. Yeah. Because <laughs> you want catharsis. Well yes. for me, if the play had ended remember there's that moment that's the, tr- the transition from the first yes, part to the second part where the lights beautiful. go off. Yeah. If that had been the ending I would have been like best wall give you you know, I'd give you all the Pulitzers. Maybe mm. not for this. But I was I would have been so pleased. Because mm-hmm. I felt that the first part of the play with the children made me uh, think about... It made me think about many things. First of all, I thought it was very much like uh, Nicole Kidman in The Others with all the ghosts. Oh, God. But I think that ch- child ghosts are the most terrifying kind of ghosts. Do you agree? Well, yeah, we all saw The Ring. Yeah, but that was even like, you know, like a teenager, but like children ghosts, like little children ghosts. Oof, terrifying. corn, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, what I mean is I didn't know if we were going to learn what happens to them later. Like I thought this, this mm-hmm. was all we were getting. And I found that their performances were really beautiful because they made me think of like um, ghosts, but not in like a creepy way, but like in a memory kind of way. Like, you know, like I don't know if you can ever – wow, I sound like I'm talking to my shrew today. I don't know if you ever feel like you can uh, – remember yourself as a child not always yeah like, so, so something needs to trigger it yeah so that i thought you know like sitting there and watching the kids made me think of myself as a child mm-hmm. so by the time that the adults show up and they explain everything because there's like a lot of trauma that's only hinted <laughs> at during the first part but when they come and explain oh it was because this and this happened i was like oh come on i don't need that like let us be smart people without oh uh, you don't like it when they over explain no things. who does no, no, no one i guess yeah. yeah a good point what i didn't what i didn't like was i think michael greif who directed it he he kind of he he didn't he directed the little kids really well I think he directed the adults to be a little bit more like high pitched, typical living room drama, which is a shame because he he didn't need them to like be so demonstrative of what it was that they were were feeling. The adults were basically doing what I thought the kids were going to be doing, (laughs) right? Yeah. See, I guess I guess I like things more spelled out for me, <laughs> and you like. I love the mystery. Seeing sh- she, yes, and seeing children tr- children traumatized on stage. I don't know. That's like, <laughs> ew! That sounds that sounds like if I want them to be in like Saw. <laughs> what I'm just saying is that it's like. I don't know. I, I find it really precious because it made me think. Have you ever been in analysis? Well, no, no. But it did make me think of like, you, did you ever read the Boxcar Children Mm-mm. series when, as a kid? It no, was about terrifying. Is it about ghosts? No, no. It's about these kids who whose parents abandoned them and they and they and they're living on their own in a boxcar in the woods. Oh God, that's terrifying. But they they they're okay. They have adventures. They have adventures. Who feeds them? How do they pay their electricity? They don't need electricity. They have candles. And and they don't need food. They have berries. How do they buy the candles? <laughs> Why, you see... See, and then this play explains to you how they bought the candles. And it is not pretty. Oh, it's not pretty. You, you think it was the same way? <laughs> no, I don't know. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Um, 
So make believe is probably going to make you tear up a little bit. But if you're interested, it is playing until September 15th, and tickets are 59 to $125. Uh, do you want to intro our guests and what they've done? Next up, we're going to talk to two actors from the new immersive musical at Joe's Pop called As Much As I Can, which deals with the, um, what's the word that I need there? The sad. The sad. The, the, the underreported. Yeah. As under- a, as like the impact. Is that a, is that a very tragic word? Impact? Yeah. No. Okay. Next up, we're going to talk to two actors from the new immersive musical theater experience as much as I can. That's going to be running at Joe's Pub next week. Um, we talked to Brandon Gill, who was in the cast of Holler, If You Hear Me, and Dimitri Moise, who's been on Beautiful and Book of Mormon on Broadway. So let's check out what they had to say. We are here today with Brandon Gill and Dimitri Moise of As Much As I Can. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. What is As Much As I Can and who do you play in the show? Cool. (laughs) Well, all right. (laughs) Man, As Much As I Can, well, I play Delius in the show. I play George. And As Much As I Can is a show that was compiled of different interviews between black men who recognize themselves as gay or bisexual and who are also some were positive, some were not. From Mississippi all the way up to Baltimore, Maryland, our writer interviewed them and she put together their experiences and their conversations dealing with HIV, faith, intimacy, their families. And so the show kind of brings that to light and it's about roughly about five friends dealing with that. Couples dealing with breakups, intimacy, HIV, religion, and etc. And watching them and how they they deal with that through life. Heteronormativity, what it means to be a black man, a black person. Toxic masculinity, Mm -hmm. all of these themes that the play touches upon. As a queer man of color, I feel that theater has let me down Mm -hmm. and not represented me my entire life. Like the biggest representations we have, specifically of gay, cis men, are all white dudes, Mm -hmm. but the voice of the band. Angels in America, where Belize is basically like an afterthought, right? It's just there to take care of all the people, all the white guys who are sick. And we have this idea of AIDS and HIV being related to white gay men. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Like Tom Hanks in Philadelphia and... Charlie Sheen. Yeah. And so what's it like for you to be in a show that's like, wait a second, like this is actually inaccurate because in fact, as the, you know, the, uh, the more progress there is in like HIV drugs and HIV research, mm-hmm. it's still people of color, mm-hmm. particularly black men mm-hmm. who, who are being ignored and who are being like put to the side because all the white gays are helping. Yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, as we know, the CDC has shown us that uh, acquiring of HIV among black queer men has been on the rise since 2015, um, which is a new trend. It's not a good one. Um, we've seen our white counterparts uh, have a decrease in the acquiring of HIV because of their level of access to PrEP. Um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like one in 10 people is a person of color who can acquire PrEP in America, something like that. Um, and the other nine are their white counterparts. Um, and so that's a difficult thing. Like, how do we create levels of access for people who are marginalized or people of color who are privileged? I remember when I was diagnosed, um, my life halted and 
thankfully, I grew up very privileged, so I had all of these levels of access where I could just call the right people and get linked to care in a week. But that doesn't happen for everyone. And you're right. Uh, HIV has been a totally, total whitewashed story. And you even look all the way back to the, to the beginning of it, right, in the United States and patient zeros who we all focus on, right? But what we forget is that Robert Rayford was actually the first person, and we've featured it in Plus Magazine, a 15-year-old boy of color who acquired the virus long before anyone knew what it was and passed away. And then later on is when people realized, oh, it was this kid Robert, this little black boy, who was actually the first person in America to have this virus. And yet we don't focus on him. How do we bring that narrative back to that? Because now it's been this whitewashed over generations, right? Decades. Right. How do we change that narrative? And I think that's also the purpose of the show is to educate is to educate the audiences on HIV and on its stages and on who can be affected by it and how it affects a community and how it affects a group of people and how there's a disparity again between people who have access to healthcare and to, to prep and just the knowledge of acceptance and how to deal with it emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, so I think the show touches upon all of that and it's, it's to level the playing ground a little bit. And so, mm -hmm to let everyone know that they're not other. And that it's okay to talk about these issues because as people of color, especially black men, the last thing that we want to talk about, or, you know, this is a generalization, but mental health is something that we don't discuss in our communities, mm -hmm. vulnerability, um, toxic masculinity. Like we don't talk about these things in our community. And so this show is going to be so important because it's immersive. So it's going to put it in this audience's face, but not in a way that, like, I don't believe the show's preachy. I don't yeah, it doesn't believe... feel preachy at all. It feels like, again, like an educational We're in this tool. Yeah. And making it immersive, again, it creates a completely chemical response in one's body when you're watching an experience as opposed to then when you have an experience. And you will have an experience with us because we can take lines to you. We can touch you. We are there physically. Something that I... I always tell clinicians or anyone that I go talk to is it's so important that empathy is in the room because that's what I lacked when I was diagnosed. It was just like, you're HIV positive. You need to get linked to care. You're going to die if you don't. Like, that's basically what it was. You know what I mean? And thankfully, I had the wherewithal and the knowledge behind how to get care. It didn't scare me. It scared me, like, to death, literally. But I knew who to call. Imagine if you're someone who doesn't know like, what the next step is going to be. Dimitri, you talked about it, about being positive. And so have you been, with this show, have you been able to put in a bit of your own experience or helped it inform the character that you're playing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it hits me very close to my heart. Like I was even talking to our lead producer just the other day, and I was like, so I finally am opening the script and like looking at the lines because now I'm not crying. <laughs> um, it's like real. Um, so I'm very excited to bring all of the components of who I am to this. And it's, it's my, it's the first project that I'm working on where I'm getting to do that, which I'm very, it's like a weird dark blessing, you know, mm -hmm. like I would have never expected. I was diagnosed a year ago, so I'm newly diagnosed. And when I made the decision to come out, I did make that decision to be a newly diagnosed person because people are getting diagnosed every day and it's important to see young people because we are the ones being affected, but I'm going to, I'm thriving. 
I just got my test results from my doctor yesterday. He's like, you still look great. Everything's awesome. Like, great, you know? And it's like a simple email, you know, that is letting me know that my viral load is under 25 copies. I'm undetectable. It's awesome, you know? I've had these experiences where I travel the country and I don't have access to medication. I was in Albuquerque. Sorry, Albuquerque. I was in Albuquerque and the whole state, they didn't have HIV medication. What do you mean the whole What? They didn't have any meds. And I'm waiting the whole week for meds. I'm on tour with another show. We're leaving on Monday. And it's that morning. And and they were supposed to have the medicine in. But then I go on the Monday. And they're like, oh, we didn't even order it. And I'm like, I'm flying in two hours. And I'm out of medicine literally today. And I'm going to Texas. So what up? And I have to drive around and finally go to this one hospital that had literally 30 pills. And there are people who are in Albuquerque who are living with HIV. So what up? You were in, in Holler if you hear me. Yes. And I wonder, you know, because as much as I can also, besides obviously touching on very important issues, it's a show that has a cast comprised completely of people of color. Yes. And, you know, like you had that experience in Holler already. Uh, I don't know if you've had that experience before working with mm-hmm. only know. people of color. And no. mm-hmm. it's a very, it's an extremely, completely different thing. And you don't necessarily sometimes think about it until you're in the room. Mm-hmm. And in the room, you're like, oh my goodness, most of these people are black or people of color in this artistic world. And it's very, it is rare. I've been lucky enough to, most of the shows that I've done have been centered around the black experience. So I did Holler If You Hear Me, which is about, of course, Tupac and his music. And then I did Bella at uh, Playwrights mm-hmm. Horizon, which is about a, uh, a big butt uh, young black girl. And then we you know, did Stagger Lee, which is you know, these shows that focus on the black experience. And every time you step into that room and you're creating with an individual who speaks the same language culturally and artistically, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a freedom that you don't feel every day as an artist of color. Can you tell us about your artistic origin story? Like, how did you decide, how and why did you decide to pursue performing as a profession? Well, I I went down a really interesting route. So my dad, okay, so my parents, my dad is a nuclear medical technician. So he does a lot of radioactive, whatever, medicine stuff. And my mom, (laughs) yeah, it's like really complicated. And my mom works at the United Nations. So for them, they were like, you're going to be a doctor. And I was like, okay. But I fell into theater in high school. I like fell in love with it. So I had these two routes that I was going to take, either go for medicine or theater. And I applied to like 20 schools, half were theater, wow. half were for medicine. I got into most of them. But it was, I was at this crossroads where I was like, hmm, do I really want to go down this route and go into residency and be a doctor or like... I'm in love with this thing that I found out I can like make a living out of. And I decided to, to do theater instead. And, um, I minored in some psych stuff at, at, at school, but that, but going to NYU is where I went and it was such an amazing program. And it propelled me right into my first show, which was Book of Mormon on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I kind of haven't really stopped since then. And I feel like it's been the universe, God mm-hmm. telling me, this was the right decision and this was the right path for you to take? I stumbled into it in a way. So my, my, my biggest influence is my mother and my grandmother. So my mother, she was in a singing group for a long while while I was a kid. So I remember like sitting in the studio watching her and her group called Trichet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what Trichet, right? What kind of music? Um, they were like R&B, soul. 
So watching her record in the studio, watching them rehearse, and then my grandmother, she was a dancer. And so my grandmother is really the one who like exposed me to Manhattan and they would buy me tons of like sing-along videos and tapes. So I was five, I told my mother I wanted to be inside the television. She was like, okay, cool. At 11, with all the wherewithal that she knew, um, she put me in a musical theater class. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll do this acting and dancing thing that goes along with this singing thing that I'm really trying to do. Uh, so at the end of that program, when I was 11, there were agents and managers in the office, in, in the audience. Uh, and the manager walked to my parents, and she was like, hey, I really enjoy your kid. I want to sign him. And I was like, okay, cool. So at 11, I started working professionally. But again, me still wanting to be a singer, but I started doing this acting thing that people were telling me I should do. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, but it wasn't really until eighth grade, ninth grade, when I auditioned for LaGuardia High School. So I was like, oh, this acting thing is for me. I mean, you got your first part in Law and Order when you were still in Juilliard. I did. Oh, yeah, yeah, that did. I, so, you know, Juilliard did not allow us to work at all or to audition, so... It was very tricky how I got to do that. But it was also, I felt like it was for me. It was supposed to be for me. Like my agent, she called, my manager, she called me. She's like, hey, we have an audition for Law & Order. I was like, maybe like on a Tuesday. I was like, okay. I was like, check my schedule. I was like, I can't make it. Two weeks passed. And she called again. She was like, hey, they still have not found that kid that they're looking for. And they still want to see you. I was like, okay, I'll go in. Boom, boom, boom. Met with Jonathan Strauss and the producer team. And I'm walking out. He whispers in my ear. He's like, you better get your sick days ready. <laughs> oh, no. That's awesome. And so figured it out. Was able to like I didn't I got excused two days from Juilliard for like other reasons yeah. and went, shot it, and it was awesome. Yeah, no one ever found out, right? right? First, right exactly. <laughs> NYU is the same way. First time on television yeah. and that was great. You both knew that you wanted to to do this since before you were adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the years that have passed since you first started to where you are now. Have you seen, you know, like when you were little, for instance, were there parts that you maybe dreamed of playing at some point where you were mm. like, these are parts for white dudes. And now are we at that place where you comfortably could go into casting? No? Mm. How, do, how do we fix that? Don't put Tandy Blanchard, Jonathan Groff, and Christian Borle in Little Shop of Horrors. Because I've already seen it, and it's great, and we love the three of them, but like... MJ Rodriguez should be doing it here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Watch and that's no Tino Shade. Yeah. It's like no Tino Shade. Like, but I've seen Jonathan, like we've seen Christian, we've seen Tammy, we love them. Yeah. But like, yet again, here we are. It frustrates me that the only woman of color who was Jenna was Nicolette Robinson because she's Leslie Odom's wife. That maybe not be it, but who else of color has played Jenna? No one. Hmm. You know? And it just frustrates me to see these incredible roles not tackled by people of color or trans people or propping up a person because of their identity and pretending that that's diversity on Broadway. That's not diversity, in my opinion. It's not diverse to say, look at our trans person of color as a lead. What's diverse to me is look at all of the people that we've populated on stage of all walks of life who are talented as fuck and we don't have to actually qualify who they are. They're just good and we can hire them. Oh, and they happen to be trans. The stage That's is supposed to be a representation of the world. The stage mm-hmm. is supposed to be a representation of life. Rachel Chapkin is diverse to me. What she does, mm-hmm. I think, is at the forefront of an incredible wave of where I hope theater continues moving. I don't see other people like Rachel doing it. 
What's actually interesting to me is working with people of color, even black men, on the other side of the table. It's been very few, even women of color that I've worked with, like Patricia McGregor, maybe Kenny Leon, Kent Gash. But the fact that I could just throw them out only on one hand, yeah. my experience is pretty rare. Yes. Who else is a black PSM that we can spit out right now? Belinda. I know know her last name, but like, you know, there's so many. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Um, Mm -hmm. But even even thinking in the terms of black and white and roles meant for people of color, roles not meant for me, I didn't honestly get that mentality or even quote, quote, become woke until I reached Juilliard. Because it's a larger institution, there was much less of us. Same like there were five idea. in my class out of nineteen, but there was only eight hundred students in the school. So I think black students there were only forty of us total. And so, if you didn't know each other's name, you at least knew mm-hmm. each other's faces. Mm-hmm. And so then that started the wheels turning. And then in terms of, it's a classical conservatory, so yes, we worked a lot on Shakespeare, a lot of classical text. But the wheels turning, I was like, where do I fit into this? And like, what role is actually for me? I know I can do it, but was it written for me? Is it written mm-hmm. for my culture? Like, mm-hmm. or do these words fit in my mouth mm-hmm. the way August Wilson's do? Mm-hmm. NYU is the same way. And I remember, so I grew up in predominantly white spaces um, my whole life. I went to Catholic school, private school here in New York. And um, it was it, uh, we had our orientation for the uh, for NYU when I was a freshman, and every head of every department was a person of color. Ken Gash, head of our program, Donnie Lynn Fraser, head of speech, Michael McElroy, head of vocal performance, Byron Easley, head of dance. Like, and to That's see amazing. all these people of color, I was like, I had never seen that before. To see people of color in those positions of power like that, um, and it gagged me. I was like, what? And then there were only three. Black boys in the whole Mijelani Aladdin and Taylor Daniels, who's in Hamilton now, because um, I now be who's in Book of Mormon, and it was like uh, an Ari uh, Statchel who dances it. It was like us. That's it. We like were a tight, tight pod, and we all were really close, but we were such a tight pod because Kent, I think, saw something in like the five, six of us. Tatiana Wexler, you know. What I mean? Anyway, I'm dropping. Anyway, <laughs> but there was a very small pod of us, and it was similar. Like they would specifically pick things for us to work on because they knew certain things wouldn't sound in our mouths the way August Wilson did or, you know what I mean? Or anyone else, you know what I mean? Like I remember even doing Eurydice, Sarah Rule and even that, well, we did, um, by the way, by the way, meet Gerd Stark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that was was another one. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. And just to have, people of color in these positions of power seeing the fact that they needed to work with us because our community is a representative of the way that we're talking about it right now. It goes back to mm-hmm. acknowledgement. Just happy to be seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Happy to be seen. Acknowledge mm-hmm. that like I need something different. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, or let's go about it this way for you. And it doesn't mean that like, cause I, I, I get into conversations often with, with, with people who are white and it doesn't mean that it is any less than, or we need more than, or it goes back to level of access, acknowledgement, and just being equal and like allowing me to walk into a room and like, maybe my color doesn't have to be first. Maybe just right. who I am can be first in the room and not look at this black boy who can sing 
you know, and that's how I felt on every project that I've worked on. And I'm grateful for it all. But this is the first project where I get to be like, oh, we are ourselves. And like, we get to do this and bring who we are to this, you know? You mm-hmm. walk into a room and you see people like you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You walk into a room and you see people like you. That's, it's, 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 uh, surprising and amazing how just that little thing, what that can do to the mentality of, of your work day, mm-hmm. of, of how much effort you put forth, even uh, how inspiring it can be just to walk into the workplace and see people like you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not having a code switch. It's like, yes. it's one more thing you don't have to do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm giving up code switching now. I don't do it no mm-hmm. more. I'm like so tired of it. I had to do it my whole life. And I remember even growing up, my parents are from Haiti. They have like thick French accents, but I don't hear them anymore. And I remember growing up, people would always say like, oh, your son is so articulate. Or like, wow, you speak so well. Meanwhile, like I'm taking classes with like all your kids, like, and I'm, I was born in America. So like, I don't understand. Like, why, why are you so why surprised? Why am I the articulate one? <laughs> you know, or like, or like, oh, like I didn't expect your parents to have like such an act or like, making little microaggressive comments to the way my parents speak or you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. And it's so important to be able to walk into a space where like, we don't have to code switch or pretend to be something that we're not in order to please a certain person Mm -hmm. or to be palatable or, or digestible to a group of people. And when you're with people of your people who look like you, they understand how much you encompass, how much, how versatile you can be, as opposed to sometimes I can have a conversation with a white individual, like, oh, you've been on Law and Order. Did you play one of the, the criminals? Or like, mm-hmm. I'm like, actually, I didn't. I actually mm-hmm. played a student who was on his way to Cornell and got his scholarship taken away because a white girl accused me of raping her. And I didn't. That's actually why I was on Law and Order. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I didn't play a gun-wielding criminal thug. And, like, that's actually what I've never done on television. And, again, no Tino Shade, but that's the stereotype that has been implanted. Right. Mm-hmm. You're a first-generation American. I, I'm from Honduras, so mm-hmm. I'm technically not American, I guess, mm-hmm. except that I live in America. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we are from... Our, our, our culture is from countries that are, to say the least, not the current president's favorite. And no. he'll, yeah, he'll usually say a lot of things about the places where our families come from and mm. where we come from that are not very nice. Mm. Um, and I wonder for you, because I know it's been happening to me recently, where I just want to be Honduran as fuck me too. everywhere I go. Oh, you should look at my Instagram story this, from last night. <laughs> it was Haitian as hell, okay? My cousin got married, and it's just so funny. I literally put a thing on my Instagram story, and the caption, because well, we were at this, like, fears. My family's like, we're fears. So like, we were at this fears, like, Jericho, whatever. So I put I put a caption on my Instagram story with, like, where we were at, and the caption was, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, my little Haitian ass, okay? Because our family throws down. And I remember there was a day in sixth grade, we learned about Haiti. And the very first thing we learned was Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, like, my, I have such pride. French is my first language. Like, we're so proud of where we come from. I was so confused. And I'm a total history buff. So that afternoon, I got every book I could find in the library. I went home and I was like, Mom, we learned today that Haiti was the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. My mom literally started, like, bawling. 
because she was just like, I can't believe that's how they're teaching you about our country. She's like, Haiti is so beautiful and America ruined it. <laughs> and she's like, so that's the reason why we left. Um, that's a theme for a lot of countries. I'm screaming. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, like, yeah. you know, and she was like, I can't yeah. believe that's what you're learning because she is, my mother has such pride in where she comes from. And she left for some really, really terrible, terrible reasons. She and my grandmother. And that's why they've never left each other's side. And now, fast forward to 45 and whatever he's doing and calling us calling us shitholes and calling us this and that. When in reality, you know, the colonizers are the ones who actually made it the shithole. And it's pretty beautiful if you spent the time to go, you know? Um... So yeah, I do like to be Haitian as fuck. And on top of that, I love to be black as fuck now. Mm. And I don't, and I've realized now that like being black doesn't mean I have to be a certain thing or like la da da da. Like, but, but, you know but, what I mean? It's that's like, not your image mm-hmm. of black. That's mm-hmm. you know what being black is. Mm-hmm. That is someone, someone told you. Mm-hmm. Black that's what someone showing you. Black black black. Is like somebody else, that's the majority's interpretation mm-hmm. of who you are because they don't know enough of the minority. <laughs> I was always too white for my black friends or too gay for my black friends. And I was always the black friend to my white friends. So it was, it was like, where do I fit in? You know? See, and that mentality, that's just mentality that's been passed down. Mm-hmm. They actually, your friends didn't know any better when they're like, no, oh, yeah. so, same thing happened to me, like, oh, you're an Oreo or, or you're mm-hmm. white. And I'm like, no, I'm just smart and articulate and like grew up in a certain area and yada, yada. That's what that means. But what you, you're calling, what you don't understand is that you calling me white is that you're saying all of my good attributes have to be con- contributed mm-hmm. to another race. Yeah. Like it can't be just you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you got curly hair, you must be mixed. No, nah, I'm actually not mixed. Come like, you now. know, Come on now. things like that or okay. whatever. Like, no, you, you are tr- you're taking my positive attributes and you're giving it the, to the, the credit else. to someone else. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. it's my car, it's yeah. my culture, it's my heritage, it's my people. That's where it comes mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, well, a final question for you is, uh, <laughs> what role in the musical theater canon would you play if you could pick? Bobby and company. Yes! I played Bobby junior year, and it was, like, transformative for me as a junior, mm. being, like, 20 years old. <laughs> like, so I can only imagine now having lived the life that I've lived and even heading to 35 years old, like, what I could do for that role and bring to that role, you know? Mm-hmm. I would love to play Bobby. I play Joanne in your company. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> Can you do it in drag? I mean, duh. Great. <laughs> he can't he sing, it. but he'll, but, you That's know, okay. effort, everybody, you right? Know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Elaine, he, no offense. But she's <laughs> God bless. Oh. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll <laughs> love Elaine. We can't have, we can't have the queens coming after us. No, 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 no. Elaine has everything. The first thing that came to mind was Sweeney Todd. Mm. Oh, we both love Sondheim. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so we love Sondheim. We love Sondheim. Oh my god, I love playing the human condition. So mm. thing, what's going on with him mentally, and like what's his intention, and the darkness, and the, the flip side is almost like Jekyll and Hyde. Very yeah. like that's meaty stuff. And Sondheim, he does not write for the untrained. You know, you actually cannot if you don't know if you have not trained in your craft in some way. 
it's almost another language to you in terms it's of like the beats and the understanding mm. and like what he's saying with these notes and mm-hmm. why does it go minor here and like mm-hmm. what like he why did the interval you, you here? <laughs> he gives you all of that information right in the music. I think you'd be a good Anthony right now because you're still very young, <gasps> <gasps> and then in 10, 15 <laughs> years you can do Sweeney. Let's go. Let's do it all. Let's do it all. So the reason, Jose, I want the reason I wanted to talk to you about the public theater um, lottery system for Hercules is because what? So I was at Hercules and the show's starting. And from so if you if you never been to Delacorte, if you sit in the center of the of the audience, you could see straight across to Belvedere Castle. And so it's the so the layout is the theater, a lake, rocky outcrop. Belvedere Castle. And as the show's starting, I see people start climbing down the walls of Belvedere Castle onto the rocks and they're and they sit there and they just they just sit there and Isn't watch the dangerous? show. Yes. But sounds really terrifying. Huh? Sounds really terrifying. But you know what? They're so dedicated. They love theater so much. They love theater more than we do, apparently, because I would never die for it. Exactly. And so I tweeted about how, you know, those people really want the distance in order to go to go see Hercules. And then I have people on Twitter responding back to me angrily saying, how dare you encourage dangerous behavior? Okay. And then I'm, and so, so makes, which makes me think, why are the why are some people so upset by things like people sneaking into shows or bootlegs? Or- because they're white. <laughs> is that the answer? Is that the answer? Okay. Yeah, yeah you get candy. I feel like Karen and Jack right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's like maybe instead of being mad that people are doing this, ask yourself how you can make theater more accessible. Yeah. Because the reason these people are fucking climbing walls to go see Hercules is because they didn't win the lottery system. And the reason they didn't win the lottery system was because this year the public theater changed it. So you can't line up for a ticket anymore. You have to just put your name in and hope for the best. Online or Online, where? yeah. What about people who have no phones? Or like access to internet. That's also accessibility, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or they have to show up, you know, the day of and put their name into a hat and then hope that they, the name gets drawn out of a hat. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not nice, public theater. No. Like, why don't you just... I think... I think it was one... I think... And th- th- this has only happened... This, this has only happened with this musical. I don't... Like, the last time, I think people were really crazy about a public theater Shakespeare in the Park situation was Into the Woods with Amy Adams. Yeah. That was like seven years ago, right? Yeah. I guess I guess my question is like, wh- is there a better way to do this? I mean, why hasn't the, the Delacorte... I mean, well, because like, let's be honest, no one's going to be climbing up walls to go see Coriolanus. <laughs> right? I mean, but, no. <laughs> but people want to see like happy things. And especially I wonder if like everyone... You know, there were so many community members in Hercules, and I wonder if all these people had the uh, 
were able to invite their family members to come see them, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's probably. probably not the case, right? They probably got one so? ticket. Yeah. They probably got one ticket like we did. So, huh. So I wonder why the public, I mean, because they probably knew that Hercules was going to be big. I mean, it's Disney. Yeah, exactly. That's so, why they gave it a week-long run. But I wonder why, for instance, haven't they done what, I mean, and not that Lincoln Center is like the beacon of like access and diversity by any means, right? But what, why haven't they done what they do at the Lincoln Center Plaza place where they do like the the free screenings of like the opera, for instance? And maybe, right? yeah, and maybe, I mean, it takes, what, like a projector and like some cameras inside, which, yeah. I mean, the public theater can't afford. And they already have yeah. cameras inside because yeah. there are people filming it. Exactly. Yeah. Why don't they set up like a big screen so the people who don't win the lottery can at least see it outside, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have they ever done that? No, they've never done like a live simulcast. I mean, why not? I have no idea. Equity? I have equity So rules? public theater. We just gave you free, giving free ideas. I was about to say my consultant fee. <laughs> can be found no but yeah like joseisolismayin.com why why haven't they done this i'm not yeah i have no idea or i think i i I think with a show of this magnitude like taking away something like a free lottery where the people who want it the most will line up when they line up yeah like that that took away that took away like the equity of it where the people who want the most didn't get it and like you have the same chance of of getting it if you lined up four hours ahead of time as you did if you just showed up. Yeah, that's like the opposite of how the public theater started. Mm-hmm. Like, but Joe Pep wanted wasn't that he wanted to bring the shows to the people, not exactly. to the fancy people with the smartphones. Yeah, exactly. Or or if you pay one hundred fifty dollars, you can get you can get tickets to Hercules because donations. And if you're a celebrity, and, or if you're a celebrity, that's not cool. Yeah. See? Do do better things. They're doing do better the opposite things. Of, they're doing the opposite of what Jelani Aladdin is singing about in the musical. Exactly. Do better. Th- make theater more accessible so that people don't have to fucking do illegal shit to get it. Yeah, and people who are yelling at you, stop being so white and yelling, <laughs> and see that the pro- what the problem is. Yeah, which is access. Yeah, take a person of color to the theater next time you go with you. Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, ooh, where are the, where are the peasants <laughs> trying to enter my domain? Yeah. Oh, that's and, my, that's my and were there empty seats? Accents. Were there empty seats on the night you went? No, I don't think so. Okay, because there were a few empty seats on the night I went. That's I was nice. very unhappy about that. Yeah, that's not very nice. No. So, do better, everyone, next time you have a big musical. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Put it on Facebook Live. I don't know. Huh? Fa- yeah. yeah. It's free anyway. Yeah, why don't they Facebook Live it? Because people don't deserve access to the theater. What? I... It's already free. I don't... Oh, my... I don't understand this. I don't know. We're going to get banned from the public. Yeah, I know. We're never going to get invited to Shakespeare in the Park again. All right. I guess I'll just have to line up outside with the... Oh, wait. I can't anymore. Are you going to (laughs) go... Are you going to go bungee jumping from the Belvedere? (laughs) Apparently, according to the people, some some people who responded to me, the sound's actually not that bad. The sound and sight line, because you you get a straight shot to the back of the 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 stage. Oh, wow. (laughs) I would have liked to see that sequence with all the gym guys from -hmm. from the back. Yeah, every angle. See, that is, yeah. I, I, I saw that sequence and I was like, Jose's going to love Ooh, this musical. I was like, yeah, I was like, oof. <laughs> were those community people or were those like professional? Those were, I think those were actors. Okay, okay. Because I was going to be like, I'm moving to this neighborhood. 
I want to get trained by Phil. <laughs> they were so... I mean, well, Phil, yeah. But that sequence. Mm, mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, anything you want, else you want to say to the people, Jose? Don't eat salads outside. Don't buy pre-made salad. No. And wash your lettuce. Or better yet, don't eat lettuce. <laughs> don't eat lettuce. You know, my, my boyfriend's a chef. He, he hates lettuce. Yeah. So he and eat. he also got food poisoning. Yes. You don't need lettuce. No. None of us need lettuce. It's gross. Yeah. Anyway. Yes, dirt. Uh, you know, remember to um, rate, rate and review us on iTunes, especially because we've been getting reviews saying we talk about race too much, which oh, is on brand, yeah. really, I get, which is like predictable in terms of criticisms we have. But if you like us and want us to be happy, can you leave us a nice reviews? Yeah. And it's also not true because see, we talked about make believe without ever saying that all the children ghosts were white. Yeah, it was an entirely white show, which... Which we'd be pissed by, except... Eh. <laughs> Pick your battles, everybody. Amen. And remember, theater's more fun when you take a friend. Bye. Oh, theater and food poisoning's more fun, right? Ew. <laughs>